So then I had to wait and get an ambulance to so the next hospital. So was this not a fake eye situation? It was fake. This was a real... This was fake. Oh, fuck. I was faking the whole thing. And that's how much I wanted to get out of work. Like, I literally <laughs> had to just... I had to just go along with it. Because I was like, my dad's here now. Now ambulance Shit. is here. He's there was nothing me. in my eye. I was faking it the oh whole time. God. Oh, my God. Okay. Hello and welcome back to the pod. I am Angela Scanlon and you're listening to Thanks A Million, the podcast that thinks about thanks with the good, the great and the grateful. How are we feeling about coat weather? I never want to wish it in too soon, but I'm not going to lie, I love when I can dig into my puffers. There are multiples, I know, it's an issue. It's a storage issue, apart from anything else. But I absolutely love, I don't know whether it's the crunchy autumn leaves or the slightly grey. It's not always grey. Oh, the leaf blower on cue outside. He loves a leaf blower. Oh, lads. It's good to be alive. But enough about machinery. There are a million things I've been grateful for lately. Oh, my God. Thankful for burrata. Sorry, I know that makes me a bougie bitch, but I'm currently eating it out of its little container. So creamy. Honestly, I tried to do the vegan thing for a while and I dabble a bit, but shit, I mean, like mozzarella on speed. For a woman who was brought up on easy singles, this is pure joy. Mm. Makes my throat a bit claggy, not going to lie. Tomorrow, I'm not going to be recording a podcast. Let's just say. It's true, dairy in general. A little claggy, but honestly, worth the hit between the eyes for a ball of burrata. I'd swim in it if I could, honestly. It's delicious. Do you have a favourite cheese? It's a topic I could talk about endlessly. I love a Wensleydale. I like a blue cheese. Easy singles I will also take on a burger, even though I diss them slightly in that little moment. But cheese, generally, if there was a mastermind subject, I feel like I could nail cheese. My sister has a cheese business. My husband comes from a cheese family. I don't know how what a cheese family is, but they sell cheese. And so I feel Mont d'Or. Mm. Have you ever had that? Honestly, and I really shouldn't have it. It doesn't agree with me, as they say. Mont d'Or, apparently, is like similar to Barat. It's like a little wheel. It's, there's one of them brought out on New Year's Eve every year in the Horgan household. And honestly, it's like cre- they put it in the oven with big lumps of door straw. I know, it's that exciting. I can't even talk about it. Lumps of bread. And it's like oozy. I mean, it's smelly, but it's still gorgeous. Okay, before we dive into today's Montour, I mean today's episode, shall we hear what you, the listeners, are thankful for today? Cam from Paris, how fitting. Brie from Paris. This week I'm grateful for my nightly Vervienne infusion. I think... I don't know. I'd have to Google it, but I think Vervian, and I'm sure I'm mispronouncing it in the same way I mispronounce croissant. But I feel like that might be, yeah, tea infusion. News just in, it's pronounced vervain. It's a herbal infusion. There are 150 species. I actually think this is grown in my garden. Oh no, that's verbena, which is also part of the vervain family. Um, 
It's a perennial herbaceous for those of you who are interested in that sort of thing and you drink it and maybe it's relaxing, who knows. Anyway, it's tea and it sounds bougie, so I'm in. Matt, a little more low-key, our Matt. I'm thankful it's Friday. Go on, lads. Points. Onwards we go. I feel very excited. Shall we hear a little bit about today's guest? Today's guest is London Hughes. She is a woman of many talents, a stand-up comedian, TV writer and presenter. You name it, she's done it. She was the first British black woman to be nominated for the Best Show Award at Edinburgh Fringe. Her Fringe show, To Catch a Dick, I feel like it has to be said like that. It's been adapted to a Netflix special and she's even bagged herself a role in the HBO reboot, Perfect Strangers. London Hughes is now in LA, dialing in there and she is a joyously filthy guest and we cannot wait to get stuck in. Hey, girl. Hi. I don't even know what was happening. Jesus Christ. Mm-mm. Oh, my God. You look around 12, babe. <laughs> no, this I is don't. a good vibe. You do. And also, I love that you're sitting in a room with yourself peering into every room ether. in my Every room in my house has me in it. I'm into it. Where? What? Are you in L.A.? Mm-hmm. I mean, first of all, I love that you have a house in L.A., and second of all, <laughs> I love that you have pictures of yourself. I have one in my downstairs loo. It's not obviously a tour poster, but I sometimes get embarrassed. And depending on who comes over, I get rid of it. Honestly, I wanted to have one in my loo. I think that's goals. I think... Isn't I it? Have, I, don't ha- I have a giant framed picture, a golden, giant oh, framed yeah. picture of, of Kevin Hart above my toilet. Done. Done. But, but he, I, I mean, he's like me. your godfather, isn't he? Basically. Basically. Yeah. So and how I did that it. come about? You won a picture of Kevin Hart. Yeah. So I did Kevin Hart's got a game show called Celebrity Game Face. And it's like yeah. his celebrity friends just compete doing silly prizes. And the winner wins a giant picture of him. Like his mice, it's the size of me, of his face, it's like an oil painting. And it was me, it was it was me versus Jay Leno and um Wayne Brady. And I won. And so that was what I want. <laughs> that's done. Oh, wow. That's amazing. <laughs> Slash mental. But I do love mental. Kevin Hart and I love how he loves you. Deeply, it Thanks. feels. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Vibes. It's my boy. It's my boy. Okay, right. Before we kick you on, London, I am going to ask you to put your hand on something in your room that you are really grateful for. Something that you can access. You've oh got 30 God. seconds. Have a look oh, around. Shit. Use your eyeballs to feast. Not those tulips, they're delicious, but no. <laughs> okay. Oh, this. Duh. I sh- oh, go on. A picture of yourself. Yes, but it's, it's not just like vanity. <laughs> like, I'm happy for myself. Okay. It's what this picture represents. So Go on. This poster of me is the original poster of my Edinburgh show, To Catch a Dick. Um, I did it in 2019 at the Edinburgh Comedy Festival and this show changed my life and I'm grateful for it. The poster keeps me humble because um, back when I wrote the show and I did it at the festival, I had no idea it was going to be a Netflix special. I had no idea it was going to be the reason I met and worked with Kevin Hart. I had no idea it was going to lead to me selling movies. And um, essentially, I look at it 
And if I had a poster now, there'd be like five stars everywhere and quotes everywhere and stuff. And this poster literally only has two quotes because I wasn't a big deal when I wrote the show. And the first one is the new female face of British comedy. That's from the Daily Mail. And the second one is needs to settle down and find a man. And that's from my mum. And they were the two <laughs> quotes. They were the two quotes I had on my poster, Daily Mail and my mum. So like, I like looking at it because it shows me that I've come a long way, you know? Yes. So, yeah. But like, I mean, what a long way in a really quite a short space of time, actually. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. look, overnight sensation, yada, yada, yada. I'm mm -hmm. sure, like, I know you've been working your balls off for years. So that's, Thank like, you. undermines the you. level of grass. As have you. Yes. As but, have you. you know, sometimes there's, like, a moment that makes it look like it's just happened in an instant. 100%. Um, and, and also, I believe, as I think you do, that there are certain like bursts of momentum that just, you know, propel you and doors open and like, but it feels like yours are pretty extreme levels of that. Yes. And I think that is essentially because I had so many years of meh. I had so many meh years. And yeah. I think, so I started comedy when I, I'm 33. I started stand up when I was 19. So like, I, people think I'm like new and just, especially in America, because I've only been in America two years. So people are like, this new comic that's been on the scene for two years is I now I mean, that is new thing. in America. But like, I, I'm new yeah. to America, but like yeah. essentially, I've been doing fully for 14 years. Mm. Yeah, fully formed. So I remember just like being like, what is it that's gonna change that helps my, my career and life? Because I just can't keep doing the same thing and I was just watching all my friends just become famous and it was just like wait what and then it was like I wasn't shit enough to quit but I wasn't yeah. doing well enough to feel like I was good or getting anywhere so I was just like meh I was on a level mm. of meh for like 10 years for like slight little wins then big losses and slight little wins and big losses and then when all the American stuff happened I was like okay this was preparing me for this and I'm so glad mm. it happened that way and I'm so glad for everything I went through in the UK I would never take it back because all of that led to this I had to go mm. through that to get to where I am I understand that now I didn't six years ago when I was still presenting kids tv and no one would take me seriously as a comedian. So yeah. <laughs> I understand it now. <laughs> yeah, because it's funny. That's how I was introduced to you. Mm. I was aware of you on kids TV. Not that I was watching yeah. ITV Scrambled religiously. Right. But I remember, you know, the positioning was you were you were a presenter. Yeah. But I remember thinking, gosh, she's pretty funny. I like her sketches and stuff. But uh -huh. thinking, oh, she's a funny presenter rather than right. she's a comic who presents. Yeah. And that was a, that was a shift for me. I feel like we're just having a chat about life. Sorry, I forget <laughs> that we're on the podcast. There it's is okay. a structure to this. <laughs> anyway, um, so what was the moment that you thought, this is not doing it for me? Like proper, UK, oh, I'm done and I'm literally burning this down and I'm leaving. I had so many times where I was just like over it. So many. But then I just used to think, you know, that's just the life of a creative. That's yeah, just the life, yeah. you know? And, so, and part of you is just like, you know, I started young. So I've had, I've had so many rejections. I've had more failures and I've had wins. So like, mm -hmm. if you just keep failing and just keep getting rejected, after a while, you're going to think like, is it me? Am I the problem? Yeah. I have a strong sense of self and a strong will. And I know I, I believed in myself to almost a point of delusion <laughs> because I remember saying things like, for example, like I couldn't even like 
get on Big Brother's bit on the side at one point, right? And I remember telling my agent, like, I'm going to be big in America. <laughs> and she was like, you're not even big here. <laughs> like, why are you? Like, just be realistic, London. You need to be big in London or the UK first. And then you can be big in America. And in my head, I was just like, the UK aren't going to, they're not going to, they, they don't get me. And it's not going to, I'm yeah. not going to be big here. And I feel like I always knew that in my gut, but I kind of wished it mm. wasn't true. Like I wished the UK would give me a chance. And for some, sometimes I felt like it was going well. Like I did um, a show called Celebs Go Dating and I did yes. really well on that show. It was for E4. And when mm -hmm. I left that show, I finally got accepted into comedy. It was weird. Before Celebs Go Dating, I couldn't get on Mock the Week or any yeah. like eight out of 10 cats or any of those things. Then I went on Celebs Go Dating, a reality show. Then after that, Mock the Week was like, oh yeah, we can have, like, it was just weird. It was like, I had to do reality to, to, for people to consider to me a comedian. Yeah, it yeah. was just weird. And mm. so Kids TV was just paying my bills. And I was so grateful because I did two years at CBBC and then four years at CITV scrambled. So like, mm. I was so grateful for them paying my bills and actually keeping me on TV. But the moment yeah. I knew that I had to, you know, go and no one was taking me seriously as a comedian is when after Celebs Go Dating, I was the hottest I'd ever been. And I uh, had meetings, general meetings of all these companies to talk about what I wanted to do. And I wanted a travel show with Whoopi Goldberg. And we got Whoopi Goldberg to, to be in the, we filmed a bit of it to send to the channels and we got Whoopi to be in it. And no TV channel in the UK wanted it. And I remember I mean, being like, fuck? okay, this is not even about me anymore. Like this is, forget me. The fact that you don't want a show with Whoopi Goldberg on British television. Two black women, one at the top of her game, an icon, the other one trying to be at the top of her game. And it was yeah. like, look, it's called Looking for Whoopi. And it was like me and Whoopi Goldberg going a travel show, going around America, and then me taking her around the, uh, the UK and London and comparing our careers and her giving me advice on how to make it. And like every okay. episode would have like funny little bits in it and stuff. And yeah, she agreed to it and nobody wanted it. And that's when I knew I couldn't stay. I was like, oh, this, this is, is bigger than me. And um, um, was there a response? Was there a, a reason? Oh, yeah. Why? I'm a black woman in Britain. <laughs> like, this is Angela. <laughs> Systemic I mean, racism. Surely they didn't say that. <laughs> no, do you know what? They all said... You know, what um, was their fob off? They didn't think that... Uh, you know what? It was an appetite. Basically, we went everywhere, yeah? So everyone had different feedback. But the main feedback was they didn't think that uh, Whoopi Goldberg and I together would be bankable enough, as in enough I mean, people would want to watch us together. Right and off. I was like, wow. <laughs> like, they didn't think that Whoopi Goldberg had the, the star quality. <laughs> then they didn't think that I did either. <laughs> so I guess together they were just like, no. It's crazy. Wow. It's crazy. Well, yeah, I didn't think that there but was like, a market also, what a blessing, though, in the one hand, because I think, like, you know, and it's different, but I, in Ireland, I couldn't, I, I couldn't get a job. I couldn't get an agent. I couldn't get a job. And so I moved to London. And not because I was like, oh, I've, you know, paved the way and I now want to go to a bigger market. It was like, I cannot get a job. I'm going to go Why here. Why couldn't you get a job? Why couldn't you get a job? I don't know. What, I was too edgy. Had... I wasn't edgy enough. They had. I was too too cool, but then not cool enough. 
whatever. There was loads of different reasons. I mean, I was pitching and I was doing lots of different things. Ireland. It didn't translate. Who's on, who's on TV in Ireland? Like, who are the, well, are the guys? Well, I am the now. I've, I've got a Saturday night chat show, come girl. On. But I had, to, I had to come here, do the thing until that happened. And sometimes I think, which is why I'm bringing it back to you, is the blessing of like a flat out rejection, a flat out like end in the road where you're going, hang on, I haven't even started and yet Literally, I've reached the end. No. You're like, boom, let's go. There has got to be somewhere else and you honestly, can kind of fly without looking back. Honestly, I'm so grateful that every TV channel in Britain rejected the Whoopi Goldberg idea because it did give yeah. me the fuel because I was, you know, I was getting a bit more attention, more attention than I'd ever been used to off the back of Celebs Go Day. And mm. so I was like, maybe I should stay. Maybe I should stay. And I was Ooh, like toying like with the idea. Yeah, I was like, they finally yeah. like me. Why would I leave now? And then the whoopee thing happened. I was like, no, nope, nope, I'm gone. And then I remember just thinking to myself, I'm going to give America a try mm. because there's no harm in trying. And if I go there and things go well, then I'll stay. And if I go there and things don't do well, I'll come back, which basically leads me back to this. Because when I wrote this show, I already knew that England wasn't for me. And yeah. I just wanted to go back to Edinburgh one last time and kill it because I'd done the festival two times before and I like no one cared. And I was like, before I leave for America for good, I just want one last shot at Edinburgh just to see. And if I Mic do well, drop great. moment. Right. If I do well, great. And if I don't, I'm off to America anyway, you know? And I went there. And of course, that's the year I smash it out of the park and become the first black British woman nominated for best show in the whole yeah. 75 years of the festival. So of course that's the way. Of course that's the way. When you're on your way out anyway, that's when they go, yeah. actually, we want you. So, but do you, but yeah. do you think that's it? Do you think it's because they know you're on your way out? Or do you think it's because you're, you're free? You have nothing to lose anymore and therefore you're yourself completely. As a creative, yes, because I was like, I don't give a shit about you guys. I'm just going to do yeah. whatever show I want to do. The show was called To Catch a Dick. First of mm -hmm. all, like no Edinburgh shows are called like provocative things anyway. They don't do yeah. shows about just like a, a, a woman just like enjoying having sex and talking about her dick catching history. It would be like a dark, twisted show about, yeah. uh, really about tax evasion, underlines, told <laughs> through sex or <laughs> like uh, Fleabag did so well at the festival and she, um, Phoebe Waller-Bridge had just won like 27 Emmys. And so the year that I did to catch a dick, that was the year of like girls doing like dark comedy, yeah. edgy shows around sex. Alas, Fleabag, because Fleabag, the TV show started off as a festival show. Mm -hmm. So I, this show's a happy show about sex. No, not really. I talk about dark things, but I talk about them in a happy way. So yeah. I guess people were like, oh, this is different. And also I'm hilarious. Like I'm literally, <laughs> I'm literally very funny. So <laughs> like, and I think people didn't know that because like you, they saw me as a, a kid's TV presenter mm -hmm. or a reality TV star. They didn't yeah. really see me as a, a comedian. And I guess I didn't care. So I just did the show. And then, yeah, when you're free enough to just be your authentic self, no matter what happens, good things happen. It's the and, good uh, shit. So grateful. So grateful. Yeah. Yay. Okay, well, that brings us on. I'm actually going to go, let's see. Okay, so let's hop into our first question a half an hour later. I'm sorry, guys. It'll be worth it. Okay. Um, what advice are you most thankful for? Oh, my gosh. 
Is it advice I gave myself or is it advice other people? Oh, babe, I mean, like, if the advice you gave yourself is the best you've got, then listen, go it, delve inward. I'm trying to think of advice other people gave me. No, I'm, do you know what? It's the advice I gave myself. It sounds so wanky, but it is. Go. I'll I'll tell you why. It's because I genuinely remember a time when I was feeling so down about my career as we often get because thanks to social media you can even you can be doing quite well and be secure within yourself and go online and see people just thriving at life and it makes you feel like Mm -hmm. you're either not thriving or you need to work harder and anytime that would happen I would just tell myself like it's gonna work out for you like believe in yourself stay on this path you've got this and that reminding myself of that was just kept me going Mm. and if I didn't do that, I feel like I would have just given up a long time ago because there's so many reasons for me to give up. Like there's so many, yeah. <laughs> I had more reasons to give up than to stay doing what I was doing. And yeah. I like, it's really important to be your own best friend and talk to yourself like your best friend would. So anytime I'd have those days, I would talk to myself like, I'm not me, I'm my best friend. And I would tell me, hey, London, you're doing great. Hey, London, you've made progress. Hey, London, stick that. Stick with it. Stick with it. This is your dream. This is what you've always wanted. And that that kept me going. And I'm so grateful for me. (laughs) (laughs) Believing in me. Thank you, me. I mean, this is turning into J-Lo or like Snoop Dogg. I want to thank me. Um, I want to thank myself. I want to thank myself. I want to thank me. (laughs) Honestly... Yes, but listen, yes. that's the that's the voice, isn't it? Because sometimes mm-hmm. we put more weight on the advice that we get externally. Fine. Yes. And actually we diminish or denigrate our own voice. And like, look, we're also at the mercy of our own voice 24-7. If you're living seven. with an asshole, it of course it's a battle every day. But that idea yeah. of being your own best friend. Yeah, you have to be. That's why I'm single as well. Because I love myself so much. <laughs> that I'm like I wouldn't I feel like getting with a man is like settling because <laughs> I'm like I treat me so well you have to at least treat me as good as me and I, I mean, don't fair <laughs> enough fair so, enough yeah when I meet a guy that treats me as good as I treat me then I'll marry him so Done. <laughs> um, and tell me where does that kind of like you know because self-love I think is mm. is chucked around a lot isn't it and mm. it feels like you know uh, Gwyneth-ism um, was yes, something does. that you buy or something that you treat yourself to. Uh-huh. But like, it's 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 obviously much, much more than that. Where does that kind of like unwavering self-love come from? So it's crazy. I never used to have it. It's very new to me. I used to be bullied. I was bullied in school. I was bullied in primary school, secondary school, not college, university, primary school, secondary school and university. I got bullied as a kid and as an 18 year old adult. And bullied, I mean, I hate to ask this question, but like, why, why were you bullied? Was there, was there a... No reason. There was never like a specific reason. I was rolling with a bunch of girls that I really, popular girls that I really wanted to impress, but they were mean. They were just bitches. And sometimes girls can just be bitches. And Mm. sometimes people can just not like you. And sometimes people, girls, young girls, can just be mean. I went to Kingston University uh, and I lived in a house with like five other girls, I think, five or four other girls. I used to work at TGI Fridays and I remember I used to come home from TGI Fridays at like one in the morning, tired, and there'd be a party in my house 
that I'm not invited to. Yeah. Like, and they would be like, you cannot come. <laughs> you have to stay in your room. <laughs> like literally, it was just mean girl shit. Yeah. And so my confidence was really low. And I used to just like, I used to just imagine a world where people actually liked me for me. Cause I actually quite liked me, but other people didn't. And I didn't yeah. understand. So there's days, there's, there was days I would tell myself like, I'm not worth loving. I'm not worthy of being liked. I'm not worthy of being nice to. And I didn't know what I did to get all this hate from these girls, but I just kept on getting it. And then when I started doing stand-up comedy, it changed everything. The first time a bunch of strangers laughed at my first ever joke, it let me know that I was okay. And mm. actually I'm worthy of being liked. These strangers, yeah, these girls that I'm, I'm friends with in quotation marks are mean to me, but I've stepped on stage and these strangers are laughing at my jokes. They like me. And that mm -hmm. gave me the confidence to just go forward. Like comedy changed everything. Stand-up comedy but, gave but me But you see then, everything. Like, is that not external validation? It's what we're all doing up there, doing the dance and hoping someone will love us. But it feels yeah. like there's a, like a, a self-love that's kind of deeper and like slightly less dependent on success because you weren't having it and you were like, I'm going to no. be big in America. Watch yeah, me. Yeah, that's true. I think once I knew that I could get that reaction from strangers, it validated everything I thought about myself. Because before, okay, if you're telling okay. yourself, I'm really funny, I'm really likable, I'm a nice person, and you're telling yourself that, and the world's like, no, you're not. Shitting on you, shitting on you, shitting on you. And then it actually happens. You go on stage and everyone laughs and people, strangers say, you're really funny. I really like you. Can we be friends? Then you're like, okay, so I was right. So if I'm right about this, then I'm clearly right about the other thing. And the other thing yeah. is I'm going to be a star in America because I was right that people would like me and they did. And I'm right that I'm going to be a star in America. And I am. So it was just like, it was yeah. just me knowing that it is possible mm -hmm. made me realize I was right. And then that helped me stay on the path. And don't get me wrong, I had some bad days, but I stayed true. And I'm very grateful for me and the people yes. that laughed at me. People that came to my first ever gig, I did Roehampton Uni's Got Talent and I did stand up and I did a dance. I did in the first half, I did a dance to Sierra Like a Boy. And in the second half, I did stand up. And everyone who was there, you are responsible for my career. Everyone <laughs> in Love 2008, this. I think it was. You were all responsible for my career. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Is there a thank fuck for that? Ooh, yes. Thank fuck for TGI Fridays firing me. Thank fuck. I love a firing story. I like, yeah. So I used to work at TGI Fridays. I was really good at it. I knew how to make balloon animals. It was top tier. I used to get so much money in tips. It was like five pounds an hour. And it was crazy hours. But I would get good money in tips. It was TGI Fridays, Kingston, and I worked in TGI Fridays, Croydon. And I did it while I was at uni. And I just remember like, this was the path. I thought I would go to university, study television, get a degree in television. That would help me get on television. Like that's where my brain <laughs> went. I mean, it was logical London, to be fair. <laughs> I was like, this is what you need to do. And anyone listening to this who's, Qualification. Con who's considering a degree in television to help them be on Don't television, do not, do not waste the money. It's keep not a money, real degree. Keep your, money. Keep your mm -hmm. money. Like it was, I remember 
they just, it was just, they made us watch episodes of Desmond's. Did you get Desmond's in Ireland? Mm-mm. Did you even get no. black TV shows in Ireland? Like, I don't even, no. I can, I can no. imagine that. I really can't imagine mm-hmm. that. So they used to just show us all these old TV shows and we used to write about them. And like, I remember learning about who invented the auto cue, but not how to use one. Like it was just, okay, it was well, just a ridiculous yeah. shit. Theory yeah, of Hubert television. Hubert Shaffley, I think his name was, who <laughs> invented the auto cue. No idea how to use one, but that's who invented it. I was like, this is a terrible degree. And I was working at TGI Fridays and every, I worked every Saturday and Sunday and my friends would go to this comedy show every Sunday called The Sunday Show. And they would be like, come to The Sunday Show, come to The Sunday Show. And I'm like, I can't, I'm working. And I would never get Sundays off. And I used to hate being at work. I used to always try and get out of it. I faked asthma attacks. One time I pretended that a piece of glass fell in my eye and like, and I ended up being- Fell in your eye yeah, so from a height. Literally, so every time you drop a dish at TGI Fridays, everybody cheers. Oh, yeah. And I had like a tray of dishes and plates and uh, and glasses. And I dropped it by accident and everyone looked and cheered. And then it was a glass smashed and I pretended the glass got in my eye. And I was like so upset about it. And they were like, oh my God, oh my God. Then I remember like, they had to like rinse Don't out my sue. eye and I had to be, I was like, it's still in there. Then they called my dad. My dad drove all the way in the, like, it was like 11 o'clock at night, drove all the way to come and get me, t- took me to hospital. We went to the first hospital. They didn't have equipment f- to check the eye. So then I had to wait and get an ambulance to so the next this hospital. So was this not a fake eye situation? It was fake. This was a real? This was fake. Oh, for fuck. I was faking the whole thing. And that's how much I wanted to get out of work. Like I literally had <laughs> to just, I had to just go along with it. Because I was like, my dad's here now. The ambulance is here. There was nothing in my eye. I was faking it the whole oh time. My oh my God. Okay. So like that, those things, the things I would do to get out of work. And I wanted Commitment. to- Commitment. Yeah. And I wanted to be fired, but also I'm a, I'm a good worker. I do like my job. I don't want to be fired from anywhere, even though I hated it. And I wanted to go to this comedy show every Sunday. And so one day we had a new boss. And he was American, actually. And he was very much like one strike and you're out, out with the old, in with the new. And one day I just showed up like 20 minutes late because I was coming from my lecture and my lecture overran or something. And yeah, he fired me on the spot. And I just remember thinking, I don't know what to do with my life now. And I remember thinking about Lauren Hill because Lauren Hill got fired from Foot Locker and became a singer. And I remember thinking, I wish I could sing because then I could have a great Lauren Hill story. And what actually turned out happening is because they fired me that Sunday, I could go to the comedy show, the Sunday show. And when I went there, I realized that I could do stand up. And that show I ended up hosting. I got a job at the Sunday show, hosting a comedy game show segment a week after being fired from TGI Friday. Short off. Yeah. So and that was your Lauren Hill moment. That was my Lauren Hill footlocker moment. Comedy was what I was supposed to be doing. So thank you, TGI Fridays for giving me the sack because it wouldn't have led to me being a comedian. But also that sense of um, that comparison to Lauren Hill and her footlocker moment, was that a, a driving force? You know, as a, as a kid where you look, I'm meant to be yeah. up there. I don't know in what capacity yeah. right now, but I am meant to be in lights. Yeah, 100%. I was, okay. I was, I was always that kid. No, like some... You know, like the, the parents that like want their kids to be famous. What's the term? They're like, 
showbiz uh, momager kind of yeah or uh, parents and stuff stage moms stage, stage moms. moms stage parents I yeah. wish I had stage moms I wish I had a stage <laughs> parent didn't have <gasps> no stage parents I used to always say that to my mum I used to do Irish dance and I was like why aren't you drilling me what is going on with you I'm a star. <laughs> Why is no one doing anything about this in my family? I am a star. I remember that Britney, Cena, Britney Spears made it at 12 onto the Mickey Mouse Club. And I was 11 and a half. And I remember sitting with my mum and dad and being like, what are you doing about my <laughs> career? Because I'm really a has-been. Because Britney Spears made it at 12. And I'm 11 and a half. And I Stop just feel like there around, is, right, there's no urgency. I don't have an agent. Like none of you. There's no plan. There's no plan. Like what is, and I remember, this so life. I got banned. I got my mum's phone bill ran up. And I think my mum, my, our house phone got like banned from several estate agents in the local area because I went through the yellow pages to look for an agent. And I found estate agents. And I rang up Fox Stones. I rang up all the estate agents. And I was like, hello. I'm looking for representation. And that's all I knew. That's all I knew I had to say. And I was like, I want to be famous like Britney Spears. And I would pretend oh to be my mom God. and put on a deeper voice and say, my daughter wants to be famous. I would try it myself and be like, hello, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a star in the making. And I would like, and it was all estate agents. And so they would block my number, think it was prank calls. And it wasn't prank calls. It was just a determined young girl. The wrong agents. Wrong agent. There are no agents in the yellow pages. Okay. If anybody wants to know, they don't Not the right ones anyway. No, there's estate agents. Um, Yeah. But it, it, again, that word fame, which a lot of people are like, oh, no, no, no. I wanted to just work on my craft. And I want, you wanted to be famous. Famous. I wanted to be famous. I wanted to be on TV. I didn't know what for. Mm. I didn't want to be famous like just for no reason. I didn't want to be like a model. I haven't wanted to be like a pop yeah. star or a TV star like Will Smith. I wanted to have like my own show like The Fresh Prince of Bella. And I wanted okay. like, I wanted, I wanted that. I remember thinking the, the answer to all that is just going on Big Brother. I auditioned for Big Brother like four times. And wow. the last time I actually- And they didn't take you. Well, I lied about my age the first three times. <laughs> Nadine, yeah. <laughs> I was Nadine in the whole thing. And then the fourth time I essentially got on, but I would have to repeat my first year of uni again. And I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. So I, and to be honest, Big Brother were really, they were really nice to me. They, they literally said to me like, you're a really funny girl. Like you have great energy. You know, you have a lot of chance of getting on Big Brother without, I mean, get, becoming a TV host. Cause I was like, I want to be a TV presenter. I want to have my own show. And they were like, you've got a strong chance of doing it without Big Brother. Big Brother could hinder you. And that was in the back of my mind as well. Mm, um, they okay. were really sweet. Uh, that whole process of auditioning for Big Brother is insane. Um, and I loved it. Yeah. But yeah, I, I thought the answer was Big Brother. I thought the answer was getting a, going to America because all the black people I saw on TV that were famous were American. So I remember from a very young age, realizing that to be on TV and be black, I had to be American. So America was like yeah. the goal really early and that's literally because of lack of representation in britain like literally because there was not enough black british people on tv a young me genuinely believed that to be on tv i had to move to america and it's no surprise that it actually came true 
But is that like, I mean, because obviously it's a success story, but is it upsetting that you feel now like at 30, you're like that a young you potentially looking at TV is still looking yes. for you, is still going, I need to move to America. Yes. And I want to be the last person, woman of color, whoever, who feels like that has to be the answer because it's it's just ridiculous. Like I just, the fact that like, I can literally tell you that in the nineties, I looked at television and I didn't see me. And we're now in 2022 and I look at British television and I still don't see me is insane. And so I've just decided that I have to be the change. There certainly moves in the right direction. Nah, Angela, but it's, like... it's bullshit. It's bullshit. Yeah, okay. It's bullshit. Do you know what, yeah? I, I respect anyone that literally comes up with any camp company, any network, any channel that comes up mm. with a diversity initiative that isn't performative. I'm all for it. But so far, every single one I've seen or been aware of is a tick boxing performative thing. I just feel like... It's so crazy. I just feel like Britain doesn't see the value of black talent. It just doesn't. And I just think that British, British television, British film, they want to do well. There's, I'm sure that I believe that there's people behind the scenes that are like, I want black talent to succeed. I want them to do well. But I just think that they truly in their hearts of hearts believe that the rest of the British public will not care about this and that and this if it pertains to black culture and it's insane to me to think that because we are all human beings and so my biggest thing is even though I'm in America if I even get a hint of anything that goes on in the UK that's like I feel like it's performative or I feel like Mm. it's setting the the what we've all the things that black British people have achieved over there if it's setting us backwards I will call it out because I can call it out because I don't need to rely on British television to pay because I know you were quite vocal around um Channel 4's oh yeah initiative oh yeah Black to Front Day was a terrible idea Black to Front was a terrible idea and nobody can tell me any different and I'll tell you why the reason why is because and I spoke with Channel 4 because I, I called them out on Twitter and then I got to sit down with Channel 4. We did a Zoom for two hours. I spoke to all of them. I, they, all, they all know how I feel about this. My thing is this. Mm. They realised that, you know, Britain has done terrible work when it comes to diversity, that they are so behind when it comes to giving black people, of uh, black talented black people opportunities that to fill that gap, they need to do a whole day of black television. My thing is this. It, it felt like this. Imagine black people... <laughs> are puppies in this scenario. Black people are puppies. There are all these puppies that need that need homes. They need new homes. They're homeless puppies. You can rehouse them. You actually have the access to rehouse them. You have the links to the people that want to buy them. You literally could give over time all these puppies a home, a great home with people that love them. You could do it. You could do it. But instead of doing that, instead of doing that, you decide to do a puppy parade. So you do a puppy parade and you walk these homeless puppies through the streets and you go, hey guys, these puppies need housing. Look, look, look at all the homeless puppies. And at the end of the parade, maybe two or three get rehomed, but the rest of the puppies are still on the street because you just did a parade. That's what Black to Front was. You just basically okay. said, look at how well we're, look guys, look what we're doing for black people. Look, look, look. And you put on shows for 24 hours. Some of it was absolutely ridiculous. They had Black Countdown. They had 
24 hours of black people. That's what their thing was. And the, the marketing was, if you read all the press, it was like, we interrupt mm. your regular television schedule. And it was like, yeah. to bring you blacks for 24 hours, like we're aliens. <laughs> like white people are gonna go, oh my God, they've taken over the television. Like what? And then instead of like, <laughs> instead of like making black shows and like made by these black brand new shows created by black talent, yeah. you just put black people on white shows. But also, sorry, that's what I was reading between the lines. And obviously that's a very, like, uh, a very extreme version, okay? But what I'm reading from you is that the lack of understanding around black talent means that, yes, representation and quotas, which are, you know, a step in the right direction, but they're just putting black faces on white programs instead of allowing for authentic programming to originate from a person. There we go. That will resonate with a wider group, not there just with go. other people who look like There them. we go. It's a lot. But it's fun. It is a lot. It's fun for me to watch it from here. It's interesting. Yeah, because you have like eyes mm -hmm. and, and also an objective point of view where you're like, I don't need this. I don't actually need to smile at a commissioner mm -hmm. or give you the thumbs up for effort. Mm -hmm. I can go this. Yeah. Yeah. And the worst thing Distance. is watching your country from another country. Did you feel like that mm -hmm. when you were looking at Ireland from the UK? Did it feel weird? Because mm -hmm. yeah. I feel like watching the UK from America, I'm like, oh, we're fucked. Like, I thought we were fucked while I was in it. <laughs> but when I left, it, sh it highlighted how much more fucked but we I are. But I mean, is that is that not just a distance thing? Because I would argue that most people sitting here are looking at America and going, oh, lads, nah. you're fucked. Nah, mate. So America is fucked, don't get me wrong. America has its problems. And I am not talking about anything other than television and film. Yes, okay, Because fine, outside of TV and film, oh yeah, America, America has a problem, <laughs> okay? A problem. But considering America has such a big problem, when it comes to TV and film, it makes Britain look... Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Britain looks so bad. And that's even worse. It's like America has such a problem with racism. But yet they're doing a better job in TV and film than Britain. Yeah. <laughs> like at the end of the day, they're doing, America is showing Britain up. That's how crazy, how yeah. backwards Britain's system is. And I just think mm. it's because of money. Like systemic racism stops a community from thriving. So when I mm. went to America, I met my first head of network. And she's a black woman. She's the head of NBC Universal. Oh, well, I was just going to say, it's the people in there. It's not about the faces on the box. It's the people running yeah. the show who change an institution. And I'm like, everyone I'm working with is black. And I'm like, this mm. is crazy. I'm used to being the only black girl on set. Or I'm used to being the only black girl in the meeting. And like, I go and have these meetings and my producer's black. The exec producer's black. The head of the network is black. My manager is yeah. black. It's crazy. And what does it do from, from the perspective of how it changes, you know, uh, your sense or your feeling of what's possible? It does. It makes you feel like it can be done. And for me, that was all I needed. Once I knew that it could be done, I went for it. And when it came to the UK, I really did think it could be done. And I got as far as I could. And it was just like, it's not happening and I go to America thinking it's going to be harder because I'm not from America. Completely different mm -hmm. culture. You know, and America is huge. There's so, many co there's so much competition. And I went prepared to like kick the door down. And I got to the door and it was like, eh, come inside, have a seat, have some green yeah. tea. And it was just, Britain made me work so hard and I appreciate it. Thank you, Britain, 
for making me feel like I was shit and making me work so hard because that paid off. By the time I got to America, everyone was like, oh, you work so hard and you're so talented. Like Britain had me working like I wasn't talented. Britain had me working like I was terrible because they just wouldn't give me or anyone I knew opportunities. So we had to work five times as hard. So that work ethic taken to America, a country that actually appreciates black talent, it's crazy. Yeah. Like I just... And work ethic. And work ethic, you know? It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Thriving. Thriving. Thriving, babes. But Thriving. I'm back. I'll be back. I'll be back. Britain. You'll be back to take over I've the show. I've got something for you guys. Don't worry. Good. Watch this space. <laughs> Watch this space. Is there a thank God no one knows? Well, if I say it, then people will know it. Babe. So what are you oh, trying to do here? point, babes. What are you trying to do to me? Deception. Why are you I trying know. to deceive me? Gentle deception. Look at you as putting on, lip, on gloss. lip gloss. I know. Okay. What do what do thank God nobody know about you, Scanlon? Babe, don't try that shit. What on is me. what do thank God podcast. nobody knows about you, Queen? Thank I mean there is one that I actually can tell. Uh, thank God nobody knows that I once spent a night in a Mexican jail. Why? Well, because I tried to travel on my sister's passport. What's and Mexican? apparently it's a different country. What's Mexican jail so, like? It's not great, I'd have to be honest. But in fairness, I was kind of in that mode where I was like, this will be a good story. Right. Genuinely had no real idea of just how grim it was. And I should say, although it slightly ruins my story, we were on the American side. So we were held on the border. Okay. But like... Equally, not great. And the guard there really hated Irish people because he once fell in love with a woman from Limerick who fucked him. Oh, them bitches from Limerick. They'll just <laughs> ruin it for the rest of us. And Limerick so bitches. <laughs> he was a little, a little no. edgy. So oh yeah, my that's God. my one. Mm. So Babe, now I'm you so go. sorry you went through that. Oh, don't worry. Jesus. It's one of the books. And I also got myself the following morning a ceramic, <laughs> a ceramic butterfly. As Why? a souvenir to take back. I've no idea. They were flogging them outside the jail. Oh my God. Actually, you know what? Yeah. That's pretty badass. Actually, I love that story. That's good, isn't that it? That is badass. Thanks, that is badass. Thanks. Um, did I, what have I, what's the worst thing I've ever done? Oh, I, yeah, but I'm putting that in my next Netflix Go on. special. I've got a new special that I'm talking about it. So people are going to know. Yeah. But right now, no one knows. Thank God nobody knows that I <laughs> I got um, banned from the Planet Hollywood casino in Las Vegas for sitting on a guy's face behind a roulette table. <laughs> <laughs> that was not what I was expecting, London. <laughs> Yes. Sorry. And now, when you say, did you like him or did you not like him? I like. I didn't. I barely knew him, to be honest. Uh, okay. His, his name was Striker. Uh, he was Australian. Striker. Right. This is all in my new special. This is all in my new show to catch a bouquet. I'll be touring soon. Nice. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I. Uh, yeah. I met this guy, and he was doing roulette, and I told right. him to pull it on. Like I walk. I was drunk walking through the casino, and I yelled out pull it on 24 black or whatever. And I only said that. I don't know how to gamble. I've never done roulette, but I was 24 at the time and I'm black. So that's why I said it. So I was like, pull it on 24 black. Say what you see. Right? And he did. And apparently he won $300. So by the time I had walked, yelled, pull it on 24 black and then got to the list, 
he met me at the lift to tell me that he won $300. And he was like, how can I thank you? And I was like, you can let me sit on your face as a joke. <laughs> I said it as a joke. I used to say stuff like that all the time. I just, I did it for a reaction. And like, I would say stuff like, oh, I would sit on his face. or you should let me sit on your face. Like sit, I love the phrase yeah. sitting on face. So I said, you should let yeah, me sit yeah, on yeah. your face. And he, I didn't expect him to be like, yes. Sure. So now what, what do we do? So now we're in a, we're in a quandary. <laughs> what happens now? Where do we go? So we went behind the roulette table. So, sorry. Oh, whoa. Back it up. So he, he said, okay. And then you said, oh, like, when am I ever going to be in a situation where I say, you can let me sit on your face as banner? Yeah. And you and go, he says, yes. And sure. it was my first time in Las Vegas. It was my first night in Las Vegas. And I was like, this is just what happens in Las Vegas. Like, I, My brain was like, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Maybe yeah. this is the type of place where that you can happens. just sit on a guy's face on the casino floor. And so I was wearing a, a lipsy dress <laughs> and my dress was too tight. And I, didn't, and I didn't have any underwear on because, you know, back in the day when you have those tight dresses, you get VPL. And I was not mm -hmm. wearing underwear that night. And I was like, Handy. what are the chances that I'm already not wearing underwear? I've got this yeah. bodycon tight lipsy dress on that all I have to do is just perch, just perch, perch. fully clothed on oh his chin. Oh, God. It's like the universe wanted it to happen. Exactly. The universe conspired. And shit went down. And I'm not going to reveal yeah. what happened after that. You'll have to watch. Okay. And come to my tour. Wow. But yes. But good. Yes. Good times. Good fun stuff. Oh, wow. Crazy that times. Wonderful. Great stuff. <laughs> Apart from uh, to Striker London, before I let you go, is there a thanks that got away? Although I feel like you maybe did thank him. Uh, <laughs> thanks that got away. <laughs> I was... <laughs> Striker got hit. Striker knew I was thankful. Okay. Striker got a mouthful. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Striker got a mouthful. Striker is. Oh, God. I wonder what Striker's doing now. If anybody knows Striker from Australia, too. if anyone knows Striker oh, from yeah. Australia, I'm just like, anyone? Get in touch. Get in Get touch, touch Striker. Oh. We've got a WhatsApp. <laughs> <laughs> the thanks that got away the thanks that got away I never I don't know if I've publicly thanked her but I guess I'll do it now I, I want to thank um, Phoebe Waller-Bridge because Phoebe put me in Fleabag series one mm. episode three I play a sex worker she goes to a sex shop to buy a vibrator for her sister for her birthday and a young London Hughes <laughs> so it sells her that vibrator <laughs> and uh I remember getting the part I didn't audition for it and my agent just emailed me and was like hey do you want to um do Fleabag and I'd heard of the show the Edinburgh show and it was being filmed for BBC3 and I remember just being like oh sure I'll audition for it and my agent was like oh no the you're not auditioning like she's giving you the part and to that this day well no since then that's happened but at that time no one has ever just given me a part mm. and I was still presenting scrambled so like I was doing kids tv gigging a bit but no one that like, took me seriously as an actor and I was auditioning for everything all under the all under the sun and Phoebe gave me that role. And I remember going to set, meeting her and spending the day with her filming. And she was so lovely and she inspired me 
to like just go for it. And she had just been signed mm. to UTA, which is now the agency in America who I'm signed to. And she was telling me about going to America and doing all this stuff. And I was just listening like this and like, one day that will be me. And like, I love this for you. And I'm so happy for you. And but I genuinely was like, it inspired me to go for it. And I remember at the rap party for Fleabag, I, uh, we, Phoebe Waller-Bridge loves karaoke. She loves a good karaoke sesh. And we did karaoke at the rap party. And I remember performing Britney Spears, Oops, I Did It Again. And I got a, a straw and made it my microphone. And I did this whole elaborate routine. And Phoebe grabbed me and pulled me to one side and was like, you're fucking in, you're an amazing performer. What You need to do Edinburgh. Like, why have you not done Edinburgh? And I was just like, um... I did it, but they don't really, it's, nothing's really happened. She's like, oh my God, you need to do Edinburgh again and do a show no. and fucking perform. You're an amazing performer. And having someone like that at the top of her game, look at me and see something in me, it gave me the confidence to like go to Edinburgh, go back to Edinburgh, take give, another, give it another try, perform the fuck out of a show and really give it my all. And then after Edinburgh, after To Catch a Dick, when I got signed in America, to get signed in America, to, to work in America, you need a visa. And to have a visa, there's a lot of money, there's a lot of process that goes into it. But on top of it, you need like seven letters of recommendation mm -hmm. from people in your field telling the American government that you'd be an asset to whatever field you're in. And Phoebe wrote my letter and signed my visa. So like, wow. she is responsible for me getting a visa. She's responsible for me being in Fleabag. She's responsible for inspiring me to go back to Edinburgh and perform the hell out of a show. Thank you, nice. Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Phoebe! Thank you, Honey Bunny. A queen. Oh, wow. A whole that queen. A glorious one. A whole a damn whole queen. A whole damn queen. A whole That's damn queen. That's beautiful. <laughs> okay. Love that. Awesome. I love that for you. Thank you. This is what, yeah. We hear stories. I always talk about Kevin Hart and the men that I've worked with, but there are some mm -hmm. badass women behind the scenes that are helping other yeah. women. And I love those stories because it's, you know, that's how we grow as women. Yeah. We help each other. Mm -hmm. And I just want to thank Phoebe. And now I, in turn, plan on helping the next London Hughes or Phoebe Waller-Bridge or whoever yeah. to get to their dreams. So, Yeah. I'm excited to be yes. able to do that. Yes. Um, yeah. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Thank you. You're an absolute hoot. You are a fucking amazing performer. And I also Thank just you. love your graft and your grit and your fucking honesty and bravery and all of the good stuff. Thank you so, thank so you. much. Ditto. I mean it. I mean it. Ditto. I remember you coming to my chicken party. Do you I remember? remember you're I like, love I'm the chicken party. Leaving. I'm going to LA. Did I'm I tell going you that to America. chicken party? Yeah. Yeah, I am going to America. And I remember thinking, I mean, sure. <laughs> Honestly. But like, I've just come back from LA and I am going to America. And there was such determination and fire in your eyes. And I was like, you fucking go, girl. Uh, do you know the amount it's of lovely. people that have told me that I've said that? And in my head, I don't remember even being so vocal. <laughs> I thought it was just something that I was dealing with. Everyone around me was like, no, you've been saying this for years. Like, yeah. And I guess that's what you got to do. You basically got to manifest mm. it, talk it till it's true. And yeah, yeah. And, I, and I needed to go and I'm so glad I went. And I encourage anyone who has that gut feeling that they need to go, to go. Run like the wind, Run. bitches. Go, I'll sign your visa <laughs> forms. Come to me, it'll be I'm fine. Not, I might be asking for that. Hey, I've got you. Oh my God, Scanlon, I will sign your <laughs> visa forms in a heartbeat. Let me know. <laughs> I've got you, queen. 
I've got you. <laughs> the other people that signed, let me actually thank Lenny Henry. Lenny Henry signed, Boom. did a letter, and Daniel Kaluuya also did a letter. So thank you. I mean, good company. Right? There's no way. And it was Trump's yeah. America at the time. So Trump was president. Mm. And I was like, I'm not going to get a visa. Trump's president. And thank God for Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Lenny Henry and Daniel Kaluuya, because Trump couldn't even say no to that. Trump was like, no. yep. I mean, I can't. Done. They're top tier people. She's in. She's in the country. So, yes. <laughs> Beautiful. Well done and well done them. Honestly, my abs are hurting. What a woman. And also, yes, raucously, riotously funny, but very insightful. I feel energised and motivated and ready to seize the day. <sighs> Actually, I need to lie down. If you liked that episode as much as I did, please do leave us a review. I know it's a boring thing and you've got loads of things to do. There's a to-do list as long as you are, but seriously, I would really, really appreciate it. And as you know, from listening to this podcast, you know, gratitude, it's a thing. It's an important thing. So like circular economy and all that, leave a bloody review, will you? And stop making me beg for it. Also subscribe. It's easy. You just press the button. It doesn't even cost you anything. And honestly, as I said before, nothing free or very few things free in this world. So subscribe for free. Merci beaucoup. If you want more of me, also, like I don't want to be too pushy or beggy. But anyway, at Angela Scanlon on Instagram, find me there. And if you want to hear your voice on this show, your like actual human speaking voice, Send me a voice note on WhatsApp. I know. 073-61367-705. I know. It's funny. Depending on where you put the intonation, it fucks with your brain. See how you land. Okay. Text me. Call me. Don't call me. I'm not answering. Okay. We're done. Goodbye. Fucking lawnmower. Um, I thought a leaf blower would be more autumnal. Okay, so I now have to move house again. Honestly, I feel like I'm displaced all the time. I cannot get a fucking break. What is wrong? Oh my God. London News. <laughs> What's the crack? Wait, have we started yet? Or is this I mean, you talking? It, we're in. We're in. Is it me oh, and you I talking? Like him on. Oh yeah, always. <laughs> Thanks a Million with Angela Scanlon is a recipe production. 